Welcome to the Entertainment Engine. Hi, I'm Pete Moore. And my name's Bex Gregory. And together we are the co-hosts of the Entertainment Engine podcast. We are really excited to share more information about our show. The podcast is for new and existing creatives working in music, film and TV. Weekly, we provide our listeners with information, advice and knowledge to help people navigate a career in the entertainment industry. Plus, we have fantastic guests from the world of entertainment who share their stories with us, where we learn from their experience of working in the entertainment business, built in with some fun facts along the way. So be sure to subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, plus many others. We look forward to welcoming you to the show. This week, we welcome Jill T, co-founder of Black Deer Festival. Jill started her music career at Capital Radio, one of the largest commercial radio stations in London. Her role at the start was to promote on-air music events and festivals for the leading UK promoters of that time. She worked her way through the ranks, becoming head of entertainment at the station, looking after all the live music elements, along with developing new projects. During this period, Jill was charged with pulling together the first 100,000 capacity party in the park at Hyde Park in 1998. We really hope you enjoy the conversation that Pete had with Jill. Well, everybody, thank you for joining us today on the Entertainment Engine. And today we have another great guest. We are talking to promoter, entrepreneur, Jill T. How have you been, Jill? And great to catch up. Oh, hi. Um, I've actually been exceptionally well, uh, considering all of the stuff that goes on around. I'm, um, yeah, keeping positive and really busy. Oh, that's good. So where are we talking to you today, Jill? Whereabouts in the world? Okay, I'm sitting in my home in a little village in Kent. Oh, fantastic. So you've got a nice cup of tea or glass of water? <laughs> glass of water um, and, yeah, ready and waiting to be answering any questions you throw at me today. Fan. Well, let's, let's, let's sort of start at the beginning, I think. And it's always a good place to start. And looking at your music career, you started at Capital Radio, one of the largest commercial stations in London. It'd be great to learn more about this experience and what you really learned, Jill. Well, I... <laughs> I, I got into the music industry in, in kind of a quite a bizarre way and especially my, my life with Capital um, started via a theatre that Capital Radio owned called the Duke of York's Theatre in St Martin's Lane. Um, I had two young children. I used to um, run a business from home um, with my husband, which was the build, in the building industry. Okay. And I, did, I decided that I... Um, I didn't want to do that all the time. I wanted to do something a little bit different. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, you know, the, there's only so much you can do doing PA way for 60 builders, you know, of a night while you're putting the, you know, when you put the kids to bed. So I kind of like, I've always had a passion for music and everything. And, um, but, but I didn't dream um, where my sort of career would lead me because I was uh uh, a woman at home with her two children, young children, and uh, asked my mum if she, if I was to look for something in London, because I, I really felt like sort of, you know, I, I would like to sort of work in London. Um, 
asked my mum if she would look after the kids for a couple of days a week for me so that I could um, pursue a part-time <laughs> job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, they, 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 the, the kids were sort of all, you know, at start, you know, at school age and things. So it wasn't they wasn't tiny babies or anything. No, and, um, no, no. Uh, but there was like nursery school and and um, uh, and a little bit older. So so sure. my mum my mum said yes. So what I did. <laughs> I got the yellow pages out. That was going back. That's how old I am. The yellow pages. I know the feeling. I know the feeling. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) And I I flicked through all of the things that I thought that might interest me because I'm thinking, right, okay, what would you really like to do? At that time, all I wanted to do was to to have a job job in London um, part-time. That was it. That's what I wanted. So anyway... I started flicking through and I, I pinpointed some uh, businesses that I thought I might like to work in. So, so I literally typed a letter um, saying the most ridiculous letter. I've still got the letter. It's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and it said, hi, my name is Jill. Uh, blah, blah, blah. I told him about my life. I told him all the things I could do because I could, you know, I could do sh- um, shorthand, you know, uh, uh, there was lots of sort of skills that I'd acquired on my own. Um, so I put them all down and I said, I want to work two days a week um, only because I love being a mum. So I kind of, this silly little letter and I put, um, I'm willing to work a month free of charge, um, added to which I make a lovely cup of tea. So <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what I wrote in my letter yet so I, yeah. I then picked out my my 30 I'd, I'd sort of decided on 30 companies that I would write to <laughs> so I sent out 30 letters posted them in the post box and that was it I never ever expected to get sort of any responses really I just thought I'd give it a go um, and that's what I did so anyway two days later I got a call from a guy that had just started as the general manager at the Duke York Theatre and he was looking for a part-time bookkeeper. Um, so lo and behold, I went for the interview and found out that the theatre was owned by Capital Radio. Had no idea that that was the case when I when I wrote the letter. I just thought, oh, that looks fun in Covent Garden, a theatre. I like the idea of that. So anyway, I, I was interviewed by um, the, the Capital Radio's accountant and the general manager, and I got the job. Two, wow. days, two, wow. two, days, two days a week. Wow. As you can imagine, I went home thinking, shit, what have I done? You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm not used to working in London. And um, anyway, I, I started uh, two weeks later, um, my two days a week, become a life-changing um, experience for me. I, I, I absolutely loved the characters in the theatre to start with. They were just incredible. People that I would never have expected or experienced being around. Suddenly I was surrounded by this, this, this theatre family. Um, uh, Richard Attenborough was the chairman of the of the. Oh, Oh, very yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Capital Radio. So he was the chairman. So we'd do receptions with Dickie Attenborough in the green room of the theatre. Uh, you know, at the time I was there, there was Al Pacino in American Buffalo, Glenda Jackson, Strange Interlude. I op- it, op- it just opened up this amazing world. Wow. Um, for me, that was from the girl from Kent who had, you know, got married, had her children when she was young and, you know, to, to, to go from, from being a mum which I was very, you know, um, that's my proudest thing in the world yeah, is to yeah, 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 be a mum. Yeah. But, 
you know, to go from that for this part-time job, I, I couldn't believe it. I used to have to pinch myself if I was in this new world. Um, so during that time at the theatre, uh, Capital Radio um, asked if we could start taking over the co-promotes for the radio station, like dealing with the promoters, writing the scripts. The jocks then would read them, and it was called a live read, and, and it was a co-promote. So I was tasked with doing that, and the account... It, very quickly, um, I became the general assistant rather than the accounts person. And then they got someone else to do accounts because I loved being in the theatre and getting involved. So they gave me sort of better jobs. Um, and uh, I just absolutely loved it. So I'm, I, I used to meet all the, all the big UK promoters of the time. Um, you know the Harvey Goldsmiths, all, all the guys that were that you know that, that was that was big, putting on big stuff at the time. So I got to announce their events and things on air, and just had a brilliant time. Um, so so that's my starting point of working um, in my career in music, really. Wow, I mean, uh, I mean that sort of just <laughs> takes me forward to today, Jill, where you've got people. And I'm trying not to laugh, really, but it's one of <laughs> people doing degrees and coming out with music management degrees and coming out with <laughs> 10 years of education and going to work. And you wrote a letter, <laughs> which you could back in that time, you could write a letter and actually come across really well and end up getting an opportunity and thinking, well, what, what is this? And it, it just spurned into something that you didn't expect. And I think, to be honest with you, it's probably some of the best experiences you've probably ever had. You know, I took <clears throat> so, so so what happened? Capital Radio decided to sell the theatre. Yeah. So suddenly, um, Duke of York's was not going to be part of, of the theatre. But what I was very lucky because Capital sort of kind of liked what I was doing with the co-promotes. And then they asked me if I would come up to Euston Tower and and take on a bigger job. Um, but it meant more days, and I was vehemently against, you know, doing anything other than my. T I'd managed to to have this amazing career in the theatre on <laughs> two days a week and a couple yeah. of evenings occasionally. Yeah. Um, so for me, it would have been it was a big step to to go from where I was to 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 sort of you know they wanted me to work full time, um, and I said I just can't do that. I just can't do it. Um, anyway, my mum said to me, Jill. She said, you get one chance in life, she said, and you've got to, to, to take this, you know. Um, at the time, there was a recession going on and money was tight and it, 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 it just came at a time when financially it kind of made sense for me to take on more days. But I still wouldn't do the full five days and nobody at Capital had a part-time job. Nobody worked less than five days a week. But I managed to manoeuvre it so they gave me four days a week. Oh, and okay. um, gave, gave me the role of, of concert manager. So I went into Capital Euston Tower um, as the co new concert manager, dealing again with all of the co-promotes and the Capital Radio Music Festival and all projects that I just absolutely loved. So um, I feel very fortunate that, you know, that that was, that was how I started my life at Capital. Wow. And I, mean... and I, ha I had such, <laughs> I had the best time ever. I, I was going to say it, and it's all down again for what you, what you sort of were saying earlier with, you know, bringing up children and how important that is. And of course, I mean, that's, you know, mega important. Um, 
but it was your mum that actually um, said, no, you've got to go for it. And I think that's what mums tend to do, really. They, well, uh, my mum was a, a stay-at-home mum always, yeah. you know, throughout her yeah. life. She, uh, the children were everything and she never had any ambitions to do anything other than and than to do that. But she, she saw in me something that was sort of, you know, um, I needed to do more. I've, you know, my energy levels are sort of, you know, I'm always doing something. So she, she just saw that and, and, you know, her and my dad were incredible as, as people that looked after my kids with me, you know, you know yeah. and obviously my husband, but yeah, he was course. working too. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so and, and being a parent, you know, like you say about getting degrees and going the education route, you know, a lot of people at Capital had degrees, had been to uni. You know, there was there was a lot of background to get them into those positions in the radio station, a lot of them, you know. Um, but I applied all being a mum. It's really weird because, you know, I'm a little flirt as well. So I'm, I'm kind of like me. I'm, I, I love having fun. and um, but, but I'm also massively loyal and a family person. So I applied all of that what was inside me to to my job at capital and people seemed to like it you know yeah. i used to they used to yeah. call it the surgery so i'd regularly have um kenny everett uh chris T they'd all sit by my desk and have a nice old <laughs> chat about what's going on what's going on in their world so it was uh, it was like quite <laughs> Come and talk to was, Auntie Jill type thing. No, honestly, it was like, you know, I'd understand everything. So it's like, oh, you know, and it was it, it was just hilarious. So, uh, and, and, you know, I used to be able to go into the studios and get them to say anything I wanted them to say in those days at Capital because it wasn't formatted. It was very much the jocks could say and play what they wanted. So, of course, the promoters loved it because, I, they'd, you know, they'd have something that was going on there that they wanted to promote, you know, they bought a co-promote package and they wanted yeah, yeah. Um, to, to have that played out there. And But it's really powerful when a job like a DJ does a live read Yes, because it's an endorsement of that event. So I just used to go into the breakfast studios and go, oh, boys, play, can you say this for me? Can you say that? And, <laughs> and suddenly the promoters said the, the telephone used to go mad or the ticket yeah, people used to be selling tickets off the scale. So it was it was kind of like I cemented a relationship with those promoters that I actually see now, you know, re very frequently. Um, all those years ago. Uh and, and and it was through through radio and capital at that time was the most fantastic place to work. It really was. So I mean thinking about that as well, do you do you think things have just generally gone a bit wrong when Normally, the, the the right thing to do is the gut reaction of what you've done, and then it just got a bit more corporate, and things were just got a little bit more. I, I don't know. Um, what, what do you mean in general? Or, yeah, or where you just go in and, and and the DJ said what you wanted them to say, and now it goes through a, a scripted ten people before they can actually say anything, or it just gets a bit more diluted. Where things back in the day were a bit more easier, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I always say right, you know, I I. I absolutely believe the freedom that was around then, it created an energy that was so exciting. Um, people were really creative. I know people are creative now. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking how things evolve. Everything always evolves. But it was just such a fun time. And 
everyone I know was part of that that era of of the you know especially within radio yeah just yeah. always talk about those earlier days be before it became um very formatted uh, yeah. you know all, all commercial radio stations don't forget capital was was at the height when I was there it was the height of its success um, oh, yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, you know and that gets diluted the more radio stations that come you know yeah. on board yeah. um but yeah, so I I feel really massively fortunate that I, that I was there at I think the best time, absolutely best time of radio. Yeah, no, I I I couldn't agree more. And I mean that really sort of takes me on to as well, Jim. I mean you helped sort of promote and and put together the hundred the first hundred thousand capacity party in the park at Hyde Park. Now that's really interesting because that's how I first started in the business through the Prince's Trust and I was the only media company at that time so I actually attended that event but had no idea you was involved because I didn't know you um, <laughs> but it was but, 98 it was 1998 yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah I mean that that but over the years of capital I was there for 10 years and um, I, I built a career there um, and again you know it, it was it was very fortunate that I was given that opportunity and that I worked with it um, um, but our program controller um, came back from the states, and he'd. And at, at that point, I was I'd been made head of entertainment. I'd, I'd got a big job there, and it was all great and great team, and it was brilliant. You know, dealing with sort of the live music side and any any new projects that come on board. And uh, uh, our program controller had been out to the states and seen a, a radio led event happen in a, in in a, in one of the big parks in I can't remember where it actually was but it was he'd seen it happen and it was amazing so he came back and he went Jill I want to do um a big event in London and he explained <laughs> it all to me yeah and he said we need to do it in central London you know like Hyde Park and we need I need you to pull this together <laughs> well, well it was kind of like all oh, right okay then so um I'm going to put together a great big event in Hyde Park and that's my responsibility my mine and my team's responsibility and he went yeah so we chose the Prince's Trust as our partner in yeah. this you know as our as our charity and our and um we already had a relationship with the Prince's Trust anyway through projects that we did in capital so so it was an easy sort of uh, relationship for me to have with the then head of events at Prince's Trust. So we got together and brainstormed ideas. They had a relationship with Hyde Park. And so we went, right, let's do it in Hyde Park. Yeah, so for obvious reasons, really. <laughs> yeah, and that's how it started. It started um, with, uh, you know, a team. I put the team together within Capital and uh, we, we got going on on pulling this together. Um, one of the missing parts that we, of course, needed was was a good production company, people yeah. that, that build yeah. that world for us, you know, because yeah. that's that was the sort of, you know, really crucial that we, we picked. Yeah. The right people. yeah. So yeah. you're going back a long, long time. Yeah. So I was quite young anyway and and. I was successful in what I did, but like you know, relatively sort of young. Um, I mean, that's and, that's. <laughs> uh, uh, and we had to we had to interview all the leading promoters who all wanted the gig. Yeah, they all you know really wanted to be part of this new project, even though it went slightly against the grain because we was able to access these artists 
because of our radio promotion because of the radio yeah activity yeah, yeah. Yeah. whereas they had to pay for their artists so it was a little bit of a like double edged sword for them but they still wanted to come and be the production company <laughs> so so it was hilarious so there's me and the um, Rona from the Prince's Trust and yeah. uh, we were interviewing <laughs> interviewing the, the leading people in the UK who were putting on events all around London, you know, to do our production for us, to work with us and become our, our partner. So um, we, we whittled it down and uh, we finally got to the conclusion that Solo, John Giddens yeah, and yeah, yeah. his team, uh, were probably the best suited because they'd done some stuff with, um, I knew John really well anyway, obviously yeah. through promoting all of his stuff. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But also it, they were better suited. They knew the Prince's Trust. They understood the, you know, the nuances of working within the charity as well. So we thought, right, okay, let's, let's have them. So that, that's kind of how it, how it began with, you know, the production company. We got them on board. We got our sponsors. There was a hell of a lot of work to do, as you can imagine. And um, <laughs> yeah. but 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 we did it, and and a hundred thousand people walked through the gates of Hyde Park, and I stood on the stage, and I just went, "Wow, yeah, wow, this is yeah. like bloody incredible." The feeling that you get when you see something you've been a part of, um, and and see it happen, it it was beyond beyond belief really well i think um because i didn't obviously didn't know you but i i you know i attended the event for the prince's trust and i think that year correct me if i'm wrong Jill, there was ricky martin texas yes. um yes yes, yes. uh rhythmics i think um gary barlow maybe i think boy George. yeah we we did we did um Oh God, I, I I could rattle off all the names a while ago, but I've, but, but the, the list was was unbelievable. Um, it really was, and and then uh, Prince Charles was there doing the yeah, um, that's right. walkabout, and yeah. Uh, yeah, just an incredible. I know it time. was it was. I mean, I, a little story for me. It took me. I won't say they didn't believe me, but. I can't remember the PR company I was dealing with, and I approached. Oh, was it them. LD? LD. That's it. LD. That's yeah. it. That's yeah, yeah, it. yeah. Bernard Doherty. Bernard, that's it. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bernard. When I actually went to him, I was in London, and I and um, the Prince's um, Deborah Higgins. I used to deal with at the Prince's Trust, and I knew right. I did know Rona quite well. Yeah. Um, and Deborah said to me, "Pete, will you just become a Prince's Trust business, and you're working in the media, live events, and you come from record? Co Why don't you go over to ID and?" their issue a pass because it'd be good for you to mm -hmm. attend because you're Prince's Trust business, blah, 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 blah. Oh. Uh, oh, I'll tell you what, trying to get a pass, Jill, it took me weeks to get a pass. <laughs> it took me, it's probably, that taught me how to be determined and <laughs> really don't take no for an answer. And it was like, yeah. no, we're not sure. He, no, you know, I went in the last time <laughs> and Vernon said to me, Oh, you're the princess. Yeah, we. You can have two passes. I went. Thanks very much. And I think he said to me, "You are one determined little little uh, little so and so." <laughs> but it was fine. And uh, had a, to be honest with you, I had a great day. And um, I think most of the day I was standing next to Shane Ritchie and having a chat with him when he was sort of floating around. Um, but yeah, it was great. And um, did you did you sort of take part in? in in all of the 10 years for the, the Prince's Trust, were you involved in every sort of one that they did, um, Jill? Well, all, all of the party yeah. parks. Yeah. Right. Okay. So so what happened is I, I 
when I was um, obviously on site with when the build started and and the production started to come together and it all, I was just fascinated by watching the world build. It, it, it <laughs> yeah. sparked something in me. Um, I don't know what it was. Um, and I remember standing by uh, one of the main office, you know, one of the offices. Don't forget, I'm the client. You know, yeah. they're all lovely to me. Everyone's yeah. lovely to me. Yeah. And, and that's all cool. And I saw someone, a toy, there was a, a guy that was waiting to speak to someone in production. Yeah. And um, it was the guy from the toilet. Something had gone wrong with some plumbing or something. I, mean, I can't remember the detail, but <laughs> it was something like that. Usually yeah. there's always something yeah. wrong on the side. Yeah. So, so he, yeah. then, he then wanted to speak to somebody and they dismissed him out of hand. Oh, Whoever right. was on duty just treated him really badly. And I, I looked at him wow. and I thought, oh my God, you're here, this, this lovely world's building. And You've just spoken to someone who's like really quite rude, right? Dismissively, not not particularly rudely, but quite dismissive. The guy needed to help, and I thought, oh, if ever I had a production company, I'd never treat anyone like that. No, no, no. <laughs> and, and it was just something I've always, always remembered. And um, I I just fell in love with the whole building of the world, and I couldn't get it out of my head. I, you know, I, I, I got a great job at Capital Radio. I'd just done the first ever party in the park. It was all brilliant, right? But I kept having it in my head. I need, there's something I need to do in my life. So <laughs> I, I decided to go to the chief exec of Capital, who was my boss. And um, I said, David, I, I, I need to leave. And, and it was kind of like, what? You need, what do you mean you need to leave? I yeah. said, I want to. I want to learn how to build. <laughs> I want to learn how to be a production person. I want to learn how to build those worlds. It excited me. And and anyway, so uh, after like lots of talks and things, I went. And but I went with a two-year contract for continuing to project manage Party in the Park Hyde Park. Oh wow! So. So it was like an amazing piece of business to go with. I didn't know all of how I'd obviously seen it happening, but I didn't know how to do it totally at all. I just looked at it all and learned a lot about it, but not yeah. obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and yeah, so I decided um, I, I got myself an office and um, I started the business and thought, right, okay, this is what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a production person and this is my first project and I felt very proud of myself that I was going to do it. And I thought, oh, shit, shit, what have I done? What have I done? And oh. and, <laughs> and, and, and only because, right, I, I promise you I've never looked back. I've never looked back. But so a friend of mine, Deb, so, who used to work at Capital, she'd left and was working in a, a, a film studio at the time and, and – uh, she says to me, Jill, you need a you need a business partner. And I went, No, I don't. I'm I'm absolutely fine. I'm I'm just gonna I've got my office. And I'd called it GT Productions or something. I'd, I'd yeah. kind of like oh, yeah. just set it up and um I got the office booked and everything. And she said, Oh no, 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 like, you know, like it'd be much more fun with a partner. And um and anyway, we finally decided, okay, that's what we was going to do. She had a lot of experience in sponsorship. She'd worked in sponsorship and sales at, at Capital. Um, and so we we rethought everything. We decided that Baker Street would be a great place to have an office, and we named it Entity. Um, and that's 
what happened and we had this amazing piece of business to start with so yeah, I mean, that's, that, 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 that's how it how it all began really i mean that's just what a great story nuts in in so many ways but really cool in, in <laughs> really other ways nuts. really i, I yeah, think it's think... really really nuts because when you are in when you're used to having everything you know if anything goes wrong it or photo anything like that it's all you've got the t- the IT team coming, but at Capital, yeah, yeah, everything gets done. Yeah, you've got you've got amazing um, expenses to take people out to lunch. You've got this, you've got that, you've got that, you've got that. I had a whole department; it was amazing. Um, and, and I, I and I did genuinely love every minute at Capital. Suddenly, you're in your office on your own, something goes wrong. You go, oh shit! How do we work this one out? Yeah. Like yeah. you know, yeah. and it yeah. just that the whole it's yeah. such a leveler for you that you that you realize how how easy it can be working within a company compared to going out on your own well that's a really good point as well because i've had quite a lot just different friends over the years probably over 30 40 years that you know i've worked in jobs and had really great jobs but when you talk to them about actually you've got to get up in the morning and leave your job and go and put on an event or whatever or go and make some biscuits or whatever you want to do (laughs) Most of them don't do it because at the end of the month, when you say to them, well, the bank manager might go with you for one, maybe two months. But if you're not paying your mortgage and if you're not, you know, keeping your head above water, then unfortunately it's it's going to be really difficult. And um, I don't think people really understand that, Jill, until they actually go and do it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Difficult, but there's something amazing about being your own boss. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was going to say because of, you sort of alluded to earlier, you know, working at Capital, you can take people out for lunch, you can, everything's all good. But when you're in your office on your own and you're thinking, oh, can I take someone, can I afford to do that? Or can I not afford <laughs> to do that really, to be honest with you? Um, and I think you, you sort of mentioned, you know, working with Debs. What were the um, what were the pros and cons of working with a business partner at that time? Were there any? Was Were the good points, you know? What, tell us about that. Well, it's, it's great to have, I mean, <laughs> it's great to have a companion. I, I realised that I actually it would have been very lonely, my journey, without having Deb with me at the beginning. Because it was, it, you know, you're learning. You're learning on your feet all the time. You, you're kind of trying to learn new, new skills and, and getting new business in. So, you know, our first piece of really good business we got in was working with the ticketing agency, first call. Yeah. Then, um, Chris Edmonds, who's now chairman of Ticketmaster, yeah. moved. Uh, we I knew him from my from my Capital Radio days with First Call, yeah. And then he had moved over to Wembley, so he headed up Wembley um, ticketing operation. Um, so he asked us if we wanted to go and help promote events to come into Wembley, and so so we had this sort of mishmash of work at the beginning we've got I've, I've obviously you know my focus was on party in the park to continue project managing that yeah, yeah, yeah. then we had some you know using all my contacts and Debs's contacts in over the years to to see if we could develop some ticketing strategies with with them so it, it was kind of like we was piecing together different parts of our business trying to identify who actually we were <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was all about bringing. It was all about yeah. bringing some money into the business. So yeah. you know, um, and we then managed to get a piece of business. I think this is about a year in, maybe year and a half in. Um, we managed to secure an amazing contract 
to um, work with the um, uh, Ferrari Maserati who were doing an event in Brands Hatch who wanted to put on Eric Clapton after the, the show. After the, oh, wow. Um, yeah. yeah. And, cool. and some, yeah. somehow or other, <laughs> given, given our experience wasn't huge or my experience on running a big events wasn't huge, it was, you know, we, we, we was doing a few smaller projects and learning stuff, but not anything on that scale other than obviously the party in the park was massive, but I was still not doing the actual on the ground production. I was still the sort of person working with the production company on behalf of Capital. Um, and so we secured this amazing contract. <laughs> and, and what's funny, I had people involved with it. Yeah. So I got a site manager, you know, production. I got people together to work with us on it. And when I look at the money that, that because of, the naivety of us at the time, or especially me, because it was, I'm more towards that side of the business, you know, the running the event and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah you yeah. realize that people saw us coming. <laughs> so suppliers, <laughs> suppliers added a, added a little extra to the, um, <laughs> to the, to yeah. the budget for me. And, yeah. um, but, but it was okay because, you know, they had big budgets anyway. Um, but I, I learned a hell of a lot during that period of actually, being the producer for an event. Um, one thing I learned is that you you really never stop learning. <laughs> no, no, no. And I think understanding um, cash flows becomes quite apparent in that, in that sort of, in Absolutely. that area. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, when I, when I look back on that, I would love to have got a budget like that, you know, now that I could work with. Um, I just I, think I, it's just, I don't know, Joe. I just think it's a really. I think that's why Beck and I wanted to get you on because I think it's just. I think you're doing yourself a bit of injustice as well because I think putting something on. I I attended part in the part twice, so I, I know how big that was, and that was just bloody massive. Um, I do agree with you. I think from actually working with a production company to to actually running it is a is a different mechanic. But I still think there's elements there that you obviously you, you know you you know you took with you and yeah and, and I to be honest to be honest I had to be the boss I was the boss you know at the end of the day the buck stopped with me yeah and yeah so you know and, and and I'm not look I'm not talking about being a woman in our industry but this was a long time ago yeah and yeah. relatively young woman who was in charge of a massive project I had to, you know, I had to 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 be quite quite strong in my belief of what I was able to do because if you, I would have gotten, you know, I would have been eaten alive yeah, if yeah. I hadn't been. So, and I've never wanted to to run anything, be it my own business or a project or anything that hasn't got humour involved yeah. in it because yeah. that's who I am. I love, I, I love. I love having a laugh. I love I love being part of my team. You know that you know I I'm I've got broad shoulders. I'm willing to take the responsibility and roll with the punches. But I love being part of a team and um that to me is the most joyous part of 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 being able to to work with like-minded people, respecting whatever level anyone's on. It doesn't bother me. I don't care who you are. Just as long as you're respectful, hardworking, and that's all that matters. Male, female, none of it matters to me. I no, just want the no. right people, the right mix of people, just having the nicest time and all respect to each other. 
Um, I think it's the most important thing that I've ever um, needed in my life. Um, and I've continued that throughout my whole career, uh, of which I'm proud of, you know, because it's, it's what's made my career is to have met so many amazing people and worked with incredible people with massive hearts that, that really care. Um, yeah. So. No, I think, and I think, you know, when, when you sort of, one of the other reasons why, you know, we started the podcast, it's, it's a bit like a timestamp as well, Jill, where you're sort of timestamping, you know, what people have done, what we've done. So hopefully this sort of rumble on, you know, for years to come and, and people listen to it and think, oh, I want to become a music promoter or I want to do this. You know, where's the reference points? And I think, I, I think you're right. I think there's so many things now put into life where, I say everyone's miserable, but a lot of people are. And it, if you think you've got a smile on your face and you're trying to do something, it, it does become a lot easier. But I just wish sometimes people would just be a bit more fluid with the way they're going to do stuff. And one of the things that annoys me, and I'll sort of get your take on this, is I wish people would just say, no, they can't do something. More, more yeah. often than not, you go and have a meeting, you have a, you have a fantastic chat with people, you come away and you're sort of travelling home or whatever you do and you're talking to your team and you go, that was really great, blah, blah, blah. And then you never hear from them. Or when you do pick <laughs> up the phone to them, they're like, oh, they've moved on now. We don't know, have a clue what you're on about. And like, oh, here we go again. And I think three or four times with me doing that, now I just stand in front of people and think, so what are you going to do? What are you actually going to do? Can you do anything or do you need to run it through 20 people to get a yes? Yeah. Just, is that fair? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I think it's totally fair. And I, I I, think it's, I don't think people realise how much when you go to pitch for something or you're going, how much work goes into that. They really, you know, you put your heart and soul into it. And especially when I was, well, you know, more so when I was starting, I've wised up a bit now, you know, but um, we painstakingly put amazing um, presentations together and, and, you know, as you say, you go to a meeting and you think, oh, my God, that feedback was great. You know, it was going to be brilliant. And so for a few days, you're feeling on a high that you've done everything you can. And 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 you're right. You don't sometimes hear back or the, when you do, they go, oh, no, no, that's with sounds. Oh, no, that we haven't. We decided that, but we haven't got the budget for it. And you think, wow, that is just so disrespectful. <laughs> And that's why, you know, again, it's it's lessons learned because I would never waste anyone's time. I try to be as honest as I can be because I think when you're on the receiving end of that, you, you realise how how um, how much it it hurts people. It really, you know, and it impacts on on them. Yeah, so. I, I agree. I think um, I sort of echo that 100%, Jill, because I think I was taught a um, long time ago from a <clears throat> chap I, I worked with for a bit and, he said to me one day, he was having a, a coffee and, and he turned around to him and he says, Pete, you can give me all the bad news under the sun. He said, I really, really don't care. Just don't give me any surprises. And I thought, yeah. you know, that's a really poignant. And I've taken that with me. This is probably 25 years ago I got told this. And I didn't understand it at the beginning. But obviously, as time goes on, you get more wiser and um, you understand the world a bit more. I, I, I get what he means because you can deal with anything that's thrown at you, like you said earlier. And I think you sort of already answered this, really. But what's been your biggest learning curve? Would you say to date at this moment? So, if I was to think about what 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 I've learned out, you know, from from life, <laughs> yeah. um, and le <laughs> learned about this business is never 
treat everyone with respect. My biggest learning curve is you never stop learning. So I can say that because I've been in the industry a long time. I'm not just starting out. I've been through lots of different ups and downs of it. And I've, I, 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 I do not stop learning. Nothing is ever the same just because you've written it down. It's going to be that way. It isn't. So expect change. So it's to always be aware that nothing is as, as it seems. Um, you know, and be prepared, you know, just be prepared. But also my biggest learning curve is the ki- the kindness I've shown people throughout my career, which, I, you know, I hope people would vouch for the fact I don't think I've, I've deliberately upset anyone um, in, in the years I've been in business. Um, it comes back to you in bucket loads. It really does over the years. And it's it's simple to be kind and respectful, and I know it, I know people sort of overuse that word a little bit at the moment. I, you know, I, so I'm not trying to be all like jumping no, on the no. bandwagon yeah. on yeah, it. No. I'm really not. I know, but it's absolutely true. The respect that I I feel that that I've got from people that I've known over the years, suppliers, and you know, because when you know going into my own project, which we'll talk about a bit. Later, I yeah, assume, but, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, but that has come back to me in bucket loads. So my learning curve is a: you never stop learning, and b: treat everyone with respect. That's yeah. what you need to learn in life. Don't yeah. think arrogance is going to get you anywhere. I know it might bring you financial rewards because there's some real assholes who are in charge <laughs> of big companies who earn a huge bucket load of money. Yeah, but yeah, if it's not what makes you tick, then then you know you'll find much more um, rewards in other ways. Well, something that you sort of touched on now was really interesting because we had a chat with um, a Hollywood agent and um, he, he sort of approached us to come on the show and it found out that he, you know, he represented like Michael McIntyre and he's worked with some, you know, really big people. Um, and it was a really enlightened in chat with Paul and he turned around to us and said, really, the agent, even though he was a massive agent, he said he felt, and this is coming from him, from the work that he's done for, you know, decades, um, yeah. that the agent is sort of being a bit obsolete now. And I said, oh, what, what what, do you mean, Paul? Surely they're not. He went, well, he said, I'll give you an example. Lots of actors now are coming to me to just put that sprinkling on top. But what they're tending to find now is that they just need a publicist and an attorney. So what he said a lot of people in Hollywood are finding is they don't actually need the big agent because as long as they've got a great attorney and a great publicist, which they need, they're coming to him for bits and pieces that he can do is she can put like the, the nice little sprinkle bit on top. And I thought, that's quite interesting. Um, so whether we will go that route, where the, prom- the agent will get sort of sidestepped at one point, probably not. But I just found his take on the way things were working, his end, was, was quite interesting. I, I, I think... I think agents have had a bit of a wake-up call with COVID, to be honest. That's what I believe. I think um, I think the days of the big agent sitting behind his desk being an absolute twat and, and thinking, he, <laughs> he, thinking he, he or she rules the roost and, you know, it's all about yeah, how aggressive you can be, how loud you can be and all that sort of stuff. Them days are gone, really. Um, so the agents, and they still exist. Don't, no, I'm not saying that they're going to completely disappear, but I think those agents are have learned that actually the world is changing. People yeah. are much more clued up um, yeah. of being able to manage their own their own life 
So therefore, if they've got talent and they can pick the the person, as you say, that can add a little bit of, you know, the publicist, the the person that can guide them a bit, um, do they need to be, you know, especially in the in you know now with the internet, you know, the way you social media you can promote yourself in a very very different way. That's right. Um, that's so right. I think I think the wheels are moving very fast towards people um, finding their own way more. I'm not saying that's for everybody because some people, you know, would rely on an agent totally. But there's a there's a lovely, you know, there's lots of lovely agents that I'm, you know, I'm I'm friends with and yeah. people that I know have got a different approach. So I think I think if the approach is right and you're very, and they're flexible and helpful rather than being this almost like, you know, shadowy character that takes the percentage and acts like, you know, playing hardball all the time with the promoter who's, you know, wanting to fill their festival with artists. It's, it kind of needs to be much more working together. You know, if, if, if an artist can't perform or whatever reason and someone's holding money in an escrow account that, you know, that's not coming back to you because I, you, do, you, do you know what I mean? It's time, it's time for them to wake up and go, right, how do I, I help do. the promoter? Yeah. Because without the promoter, I won't have a job. You know, without live music going on, I'm and people taking the risk. I'm not. I'm going to be out of work. So how do I help that promoter rather than it be this battle? And one thing I've never understood. I've really. I find it really hard to understand is the game playing that goes on. Why? Why don't? Why does an agent just not go? Oh, I've got oh. this artist. Yeah, they were uh, to play that festival. They're part of a tour. Yeah. Blah blah blah. Um, I, that's how much it's going to cost. What is this game that goes on where you've got to go, oh, uh, right, okay, no, put me in an offer, and you've got to guess what you think that that may or may not be acceptable. It's like crazy yeah. shit. I, 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 do you know what? I, you've just taken the words completely <laughs> out of my mouth. You, it must have been on completely the same way then because that's one of the things that absolutely annoys me to bits. What? What? Why can't you? Because if, if I give it, you, you'll completely understand this, Jill. So I'm preaching to convert it here. But if you've got an investor behind you, and that investor's got millions of pounds to put into an event, and they say to, you, let's just say, oh, well, they want a yeah. big headline yeah. act, and it, yeah. let's just say David Bowie, right? For example, okay, that investor yeah. has made all his money selling biscuits, for example, okay. So he doesn't know entertainment, but he knows how to put a biscuit in a shelf. So he's going to say to me or you, Pete and Jill. I want David Bowie. Can you go and get me a price? And it doesn't work like that, I'm afraid. We have to go and put an offer in. That investor's already got his back up to say, I need to know if I'm going to be putting in this amount or that amount. Who makes who makes those bloody rules up, Jill, with the, where they keep saying put an offer in? Who keeps doing this crap, to be honest with you? I promise you it's my pet hate. I, I go, why can't we just talk together like two human beings who are going, right, okay, he's going to cost this much. Okay. That's what it's going to cost. I can then, as you say, relay that back to the investor or whomever it is I'm dealing with and go, well, David Bow is going to cost a million pounds. So we've got to try and make this work now. With If we want Bowie, that's what it's costing. Not, oh, yeah. I need to put in a million two because I might not. It's like I know they're hedging their bets, the agents. They're thinking well, we, they might offer and I can get more by, by them blindly coming in and having an offer. And I think that's where 
the, the agent that we were speaking to, I think that's where some of the actors have now caught on to the fact of why am I giving you 15% when you're actually not doing that much for me anyway, really? All you're doing is is causing a problem for a deal that I want to do. And yeah. this new promoter, you know, me and you and Becky and Deb might be the new shiny promoters that have got, you know, massive resources behind us, but those resources will soon disappear when the investors start saying to me and you, I'm actually getting pissed off with this. I just want to know where I stand and where I'm spending my money. Um, you know, you can tell me how much a staging costs. You can tell me how much a publicist costs. Yeah. You can't tell yeah. me how much a bloody artist is going to be. And, and the other, my gripe as well that I wanted to ask you is, why is it that an agent will turn around and say, oh, yeah, you can have the headline app, but I'm going to give you another 30 acts of mine. I don't want your other 30 acts. What are yeah. they up to and what yeah. the bloody hell are yeah. they doing as well? But that's why I think, that's why I think there's going to be a movement in a different way. It's got to be a different way of doing this. There's got to be because it it's not sustainable the way no. it works. It's, it's it's like it's gone back in time and it's continued to be that old way. Nobody's nobody's rocked the boat and said like right everyone let's just change this. Let's not do it this way anymore. And I think the way it should be done is because you're completely right. I think. Agents don't talk to managers to a point. Promoters are always left out with, well, their promoters and agents rub along together because they have to, because you know that. Labels yeah. don't care because they just sit yeah. and they just want to sell records. But to be honest with you, labels have, have been bitten in the backside so many times now. They just bury their head in the sand so much um, that now they've realized that the digital era has woken up and acts can get out there and actually do stuff. Um, so I think there's a lot of discord in the business. And I think there's also the governing bodies that sit there trying to tell you one thing and try and tell you another thing. <sighs> to be honest with you, I just think people want clear guidance. They want to say, I'm a promoter. I've got X amount of money. I can give you this, but we want to build to this. But if you charge me too much year one, I'm going to go bankrupt and I won't be around year yeah. two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm totally with you. I'm totally with you. I really am. I want to change it. If I had the energy, not, it's not even the energy. I've got loads of energy. If I had the time yeah. to really have this as my single yeah. thing that I'm going to champion to try to to work towards a change, yeah. this would be it, I think, for the, for the future, yeah. for people who are coming into this industry. And as you say, try getting an investor in the first place is 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 is, you know, hard enough <laughs> to get an investor then explain to them that that as you say when they're used to selling biscuits or whatever it is however they've made their money and you're telling them we've got to guess almost because that's all it is it's a guess based on where was they last playing oh oh they played hammersmith apollo or they played how does that relate to a festival yeah it's so yeah confusing and you've got to guess how many people they might be able to sell at your festival and make an offer yeah. Based on no science, nothing. It's just a guess. There yeah. is no, uh, and and you know that that is very very frustrating and needs to change. Well, I, and that sort of takes me on to because what I found really well, it was actually really cool, Jill. Because when you work with one of the UK's top promoters, I mean Vince Power, obviously in my neck of the woods as well, the Hot Farm, which I attended a couple of times, and I mean you had. Bob Dylan, Neil Young, the Eagles, and Prince's first and only UK festival prince. I mean, that was nuts. I mean, how did that come about? <laughs> well, um, so so in my years at, at promoting um, events, 
with capital. Um, Vince came in as this very quiet Irish man and wanted to promote madness and the flower of Finsbury Park. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, you know, I was dealing with the co-promotes, so I sort of chatted to Vince and ended up knowing him from those days. You know, I promoted his stuff on air. We, you know, we've become friends over the years and, um, you know, you know, had a, had a really lovely relationship with him, but vowed I would never work with Vince Power <laughs> because I'd heard, like, you know, I loved him as Vince, but I'd heard, you know, that that, that he wasn't the easiest person to work for, you know. Yeah, but, yeah. but, you know, everything is hearsay, isn't it? You never you never no, really know the story no, behind right. it. No. But I loved him as my friend. So he then, so years and years later, I was in my own business, obviously, and, um He'd sold, um, he'd sold the Mean Fiddler yes. and wanted to do his yep. own event. He wanted to do his festival. Well, in that, uh, prior to that, I'd, I'd put on the Barclay Square Ball for him. So okay. I started yeah. working with him because yeah. he wanted to re, re, redo the Barclay Square Ball. And so I spent a few years with him working on that, got on work, well working with him. And um, th- there was a lot of trust between us. Um Debs at this point, you know, she'd left to have uh, left the business, left entity to to go off and have her children. So it was kind of my thing with Vince working with him with the entity team, and um, so so we then chatted, and he said, like, I've sold the main fiddler, but I want to do my own festival again. And he said, and I want to do it in a place um, called the Hop Farm. <laughs> I went, oh my God, the Hop yeah. Farm! Yeah, yeah. I said, I live in Kent. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I did. <laughs> I did the Party in the Park series because after Hyde Park, I went on to do the Party in the Park series all over the yeah. UK for yeah. Capital. Yeah. And and um, the Hop Farm was one of those venues, That's so right. I knew it really, really well. And knew Brent Pollard, the guy that, that was running it, and all yeah. of that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. Anyway, that, that's how it evolved. So he, the first ever one was Neil Young. It was two, it was a two dayer, not a festival as such, but it was two days, and it was Neil Young and it was Mighty Boosh. Okay. So it was, yeah. Uh, uh, and that went brilliantly. And you know, for me by then, I'd learned my trade of, of running lots of events and doing lots of stuff. Um, but we worked together. For five years at the Hop Farm, I learned a hell of a lot from Vince. I have to say, you know, that's gave me my experience. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, good. Um, you know, the things that I would want to do and the things that I wouldn't do. So it's sort of, you know, um, but you, you cannot deny that Vince was visionary. He, he's, his love of music is, is huge. And he cares about the artist he cares what goes on you know and and what he loved he loved my approach to production because it was very much not ruling by fear it, or, or you know being the aggressive sort of production sort of team it was yeah. it was a much gentler approach it was a family I always build build everything a, a bit like an extended family um so he and I got on great during that time and you know the fact that the artist like my heroes, Neil Young. I ha- I've got a great Neil Young story, which I, I, you haven't got the time for. But it, Dylan, Neil Young, you know, up and coming, Florence the Machine, Mumford and Sons, you know, who went on to be amazing. Um, and and I just had the most incredible learning process. Um, 
but unfortunately, you know, the the hop farm didn't sustain. Prince's appearance was my one of my um, amazing moments in in my career. Watching Prince perform at the hop farm was beyond incredible. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it was it was an a, a amazing period in my life. I come away from it fingers burnt because it went bust and it owed me yeah. quite a lot of money. Yeah. So yeah. that was one of my kind of really down periods for entity um and as i say deb's wasn't part of that process at that point which was fortunate she she she'd gone on to do other things you know she, she had a family moved to the west country and um fortunately wasn't part of that you know horrible losses but you know i kept going with entity and and you know proud that i did uh but yeah the hop farm experience really taught me a hell of a lot yeah i was gonna say i think working with someone like vince i mean did you sort of go to the next level, really, with lear- your learning curve of what you actually learned and put into practice? Was it like, oh God, I didn't, I didn't know I could do this, or did Vince really oh God, test yes. you, sort of pushed you along? Yes, and, yeah, yes. Yeah. He, he and I sometimes would have real arguments because I'm always <laughs> about looking after like the the staff, and you know, it's always push the budget down, push the budget down. No, we're yeah. not paying that. No, we're not. And then I'd be arguing, yes, we have got to pay that. So we was continually continually have arguments about the budget and you know the need to 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 push you know get a better price no that's yeah. not the price you go yeah. and get a better price and you don't need all those toilets you don't need that yes you do yes you do we've got to look after the people you know it, it, so so there was lots and lots of that and lots i learned about a production budget or, or a festival budget um during that period of time yeah, no, I, I, I could say a massive, massive learning curve. And, <laughs> and I mean, just, yeah, I know you sort of mentioned earlier, but yeah, just give us a little bit of a snippet about Neil Young. It'd be good to learn a bit more about that. <laughs> okay, well, well, well I, I, I've, I've told this story a few times because it is just one of those. Do you know when somebody is your hero? You know, like I love, I, I grew up yeah. with Neil Young music. Oh, he's quality. Like, he's, he's quality. It's just, it's, just it, it, it's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. And so obviously Neil Young's, um, is at the, it was his second appearance. So he came twice to, yeah. to the Hopfen. So it was the second time round. And uh, his manager came up to me, and, uh, uh, up to the, the, uh, the artist liaison guy, asked if there was a, a private shower that Neil could use because obviously the, the showers were we'd set up for the artists, you know, were all in a block, and he just wondered if there was a pro. He didn't. It wasn't aggressive. No, it wasn't horrible. Just no. asked the question. No, no. And so, so Martin, who's the artist liaison guy, asked me, and with the manager come up to me and said, "Is there anywhere?" And I said, "Look, I, there isn't anywhere that I'm aware of." But I said, "What we'll do is I'll go into the hop farm buildings to see if." there is any showers that exist within the hop farm buildings because we were building the festival outside of the hop farm buildings yeah so um so someone said well there is one uh one and that's the um the worker shower but nobody's used it for a bit um i got a call so i didn't get a chance to go and look at it and i hadn't sent anyone to go and look at the shower but i was told if i want to use it there's the key yeah right. yeah yeah so I've gone back and I've said to them, right, this is the only option. He said, oh, I'll go and see what Neil says. So the manager's come back and said, Neil would really like to take you up on the offer of the shower. <laughs> so, okay. so I've gone, okay, okay. And he said, but he would like you to come with him. And I'm just thinking, I'm just being asked to his school. <laughs> Neil Young. 
still young to the shower. But but bearing in mind also, I, I'm in charge of the festival. I'm the festival director who is who has to have meetings with the council police and God knows who else every five every minutes. Every five you know, minutes, like, yeah. Yeah, do you know what I mean? So I'm yeah. thinking, okay, but I'm not going to give up the chance of, of meeting Neil Young, taking him to the no, shower. No, So anyway, I picked up some towels and they're – in the buggy, I said, I'll tell Neil to go into that buggy and I'll take him around. Anyway, there is Neil Young sitting next to me <laughs> in the buggy and I put the towels, I think I put the towels on his lap or I yeah. can't remember. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. We, we've, I've driven him to the, the, the workers' shower thing. <laughs> so it's me, his manager, Neil Young. Yeah. So we've gone up to this 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 sort of building the key and I've explained you know that I've not had a chance to have a look at this or you know and he said no it's no problem thank you so much for you know let me have a private shower we've walked up the stairs <laughs> I've walked up the stairs and I've looked over to the right and do you know like do you know where workers have just like yeah. old beer cans old socks loaded? <laughs> oh dear <laughs> that, that was the first vision and then we walked up the other flight of stairs to the top to get to the shower well yeah. the shower hadn't been used for a while so I'm I'm <laughs> Neil Young is standing outside the shower. <laughs> I'm there with his manager. Do you know when you turn in on the tap that hasn't been used for a while yeah. as well? And it's sort of, it, it, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the water came through and I went to Neil. Okay, Neil, there's the shower. I said, if you need your back scrub, give me a shower. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he just laughed. And it, uh, anyway, he came out of the shower was so grateful and then he said hey Jill, what is this hop farm you know what is this all about this yeah. these buildings these beautiful buildings yeah so we spent about 10 minutes just having a chat about the history of hops and the hop farm and he was so gracious and i loved him even more you know he was just uh it, he he ticked all the boxes i wanted him to tick as a as, as a legend and, and, and oh a wow hero. so yeah i see that that <laughs> well again that's why we you know it's great to have these chats and why we, we you know we started the podcast because i think that's just a great story it's <laughs> and he's a mega art i mean he has been one of my favorite um you know favorite artists and he, he's just quality just i've never seen him I, know, I didn't get the chance to go to the hot farm to see him but um he's just he's just one of those artists that He's just he's just Neil Young, basically. That, that's it. He's Neil Young. That's it. That's all um, you have to say. He's Neil Young. Exactly. <laughs> and all of your what's the word? All of your how you expected him to be was even more. You you come away. Oh, you, oh, you know. I've been disappointed at times where you think, oh no, they're not very not yeah. very not not very nice. Nine times out of ten, to be fair, it's the entourage that, yes. that are, are not the nice people. Yeah. You know, Eric Clapton was amazing. You know, like so that really lovely, respectful, great people. So yeah. but it's the entourage around him who get too big for their boots, who think they're something special, and it's just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Who do you think you are? Yeah, you just sat down and had a, <laughs> and had a ten minute chat with Neil Young, and he's actually interested in the, the history of the hop farm, which it is. Yeah, you know, what's wrong with that? <laughs> to be honest with you, <laughs> you know, I think that's you know it's great, and that, that's why I think those types of stories will always live on, and I think that's you know for the next person coming through to listen to you know to that type of story, I think is really great, and. Um, now, this sort of now takes us on to now, Jill, your new venture. So with all your knowledge, all your experience, capital, working with Vince, 
ups and downs, working with Debs, business partner, everything, you decided to put your own, your own festival together, Black Deer, which was born in Kent in yes. 2018. Now, one of the big questions, Jill, how, I know we're going to get into it, but how have you coped with COVID? What have you learned from your own event? And more importantly, is the festival happening next year, 2022? Let, let's let's dig in and find out more. Okay, so so after my years with Vince, yeah, um, I kind of had my fingers burnt with festivals. I thought, oh, my God, they're so risky. I lost loads of money. I had to remortgage my house to pay supply. I, I paid everyone. I didn't – anyone that I was responsible for, I paid – and that that you know was very important to me, but it did leave me very sadly lacking in the funds department. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so I, I vowed I, I vowed I would never get involved with a festival or run anyone's festival. And, and and you know, so so you know, entity was still going on. I was doing projects, small projects, working with Airage Estate, which is this beautiful old deer park yes. in in, yeah. in Kent, just outside Tunbridge Wells. I was uh, I was a consultant one of my projects was consulting to them and um, getting their license for them so that they could have a festival there that um uh, and then to to promote it to to other you know to promoters in the UK that I knew to say this is a beautiful site and you know uh, come and use it yeah so so that was my project on that well in 2017 I, I held a party for my daughter in the garden in our house and then you know and I turned it into a little bit of a mini festival you know like the kids <laughs> would do wristband exchange and it was yeah. just like it was all, all kind of a micro festival, like this tiny, tiny little sort of space of loveliness that I tried to create. Anyway, it was great fun. And uh, this, a uh, the, the, the friend of mine, she said, oh, my uncle's uh, popping over this afternoon. Would you mind if he come to the party? And I went, no, 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 of course, like, you know, absolutely fine. Bring him along. Anyway, so this, this sort of older gentleman, he was in his sort of 70s, started talking to me and he, he's saying, oh, Jill, you know, the, the hop farm, I thought the hop farm, what you did, amazing, all that old stuff, yeah. So I'm kind of going, oh, that's great. And he said, would you ever, ever think about doing a festival again? I said, well, to be honest, I said, like, you know, I said the only way I'd ever get involved with a festival again is if it was funded by you know, money. <laughs> it was at a venue that I yeah. actually would, you know, there's only one place that I would want to do somewhere, like do an event. And yeah. I said, and and it was a genre that I believed had growth in it. Um, and he said, well, he said, my first uh, festival I went to was Isle of Wight in 70, whenever it was, in the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. The first ever Isle of Wight was Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. And he, he said, yeah. and I was mesmerized by what was going on there. He said, but then something happened in his family. He ended up becoming a very serious businessman and sold his company for a lot of money and he was now sort of in his 70s and retired although he was chairman on lots of boards and things and he said to me I've always had a love of country music and I said well that's the genre that and with the Americana not pop country but that whole authentic sort of it is the genre I think that has got the potential to grow in the UK and so we started talking and he said, would you be interested in, in, in looking further into it? And I said, well, 
by that time, Debs and I had work, started working together again. Yeah. So, so she sort of come back into the business and we was working on projects again together. Um, and so I, I said, look, I, I, I rang Debs and I said, right, Debsy. Yeah, let's go for it. Yeah. Debs is more the warrior. I'm more than, oh, no, we're going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right. So, yeah. so I said, right, yeah. Debsy. Um, I think we might be doing a festival. I said that, and I explained what happened. And she went, oh, really? And I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think we might, I, I might be interested in doing this. Anyway, he called me and said that he'd be prepared to put some seed money in yeah. to investigate yeah. whether it's sort of something worth doing or not. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. within a couple of weeks, within a couple of weeks, we was on the way on an aeroplane to Nashville. To uh, so that we'd acquired this great guy called Ian Snodgrass, who had worked for Universal, who was a really lovely guy we'd been introduced to, who knew um, Nashville like the back of his hand, and he took us into under his wing, and we ended up. So it was Colin Lloyd, who who's the who's the guy I was talking about, myself and Debs and Ian Snodgrass. I think it was probably a month later. Yeah, uh, we're yeah. on a plane to Nashville, and suddenly. We was put in front of all the leading <laughs> agents in the in Nashville for for this genre that we wanted to do. So we've just like you know walked in and you know these two women and this older guy like <laughs> sitting there going right okay um, we're going to do a festival in the UK we're going for a ten thousand capacity um, it's the Americana country that we want to get artists we've come out to tell you about it it's the most beautiful site in the UK area state so I don't you know so in that four weeks I'd pulled together all these things yeah. that we were going yeah, yeah. to be doing yeah anyway it was unbelievable we got I'm sure that they were chuckling because I don't think they'd ever ever encountered this kind of approach before <laughs> but my calling card the calling card was the hop farm festival because I've been festival director for five years yeah and they had brought a lot of their artists to the Hot Farm Festival. Yeah. And, you know, obviously new vints and things. Um, and, and you know, we'd done a good job of producing the festival. That gave the credibility. So whilst it was a bit maverick going in there and saying, right, I'm going this, I'm going to do that, we're going to achieve this, um, they took it seriously. And year one, we, you know, we had some great artists that, that we was able to put on to the first ever festival that we did. So um, that's kind of how it started. <laughs> that's how yeah. the journey started. Isn't it, isn't it funny how something starts, again, from gentleman comes to, you know, your party, <laughs> yeah. you didn't know him, you have a conversation. That's how everything seems to happen. It's never, I'm going to go and do this meeting and we're going to come away with, you know, this. It never, it, I, well, in my life it hasn't. And obviously, you know, you're saying exactly the same thing. It's just all a bit sometimes. But that's what's so exciting. That's what I love. That's, that's. That's why life is so interesting, um, you know, and, and we are very fortunate. Um, I think if we are able to, to follow our, our path, you know, lots of people don't. And, yeah. you know, they end up sort of the latter part of their life frustrated that they didn't take those chances. I've, I've you know, I've taken my chances, be they the right decisions or wrong, they've been right for me, Um you know, and I'm, I've been blessed. I think with a with a with quite a, a sort of um, a 
happy disposition. So I'm able to brush myself down and laugh things off a bit, yeah. quite a lot actually, yeah. um, over the years. And and that's I'm very fortunate that I have been like that. Not everyone is built the same, so it's not everyone's cup of tea. No, um, no, no. And I think being, you know, being a music promoter is not um, is not conducive to many people's health either, because it is really stressful. <laughs> Um, it is really stressful, and Pete. And you know, you're dealing with agent, you're dealing with venue, you're dealing with um, council, you're dealing with publicists, you're dealing with on-site team, security, marketing. It's it, you've got about five thousand balls up in the air, and you've got to keep them all up, and it's it's really difficult. And I think the other sort of point as well, Jill, is how have you sort of the festival cope with COVID. I know that was going through difficult times and how have you sort of come through that sort of that, that mechanic really? Well well so Colin was our first investor. Yeah. Yeah. So he was the seed investor that started the ball rolling. As you can imagine, I've had to drag along these other investors along the way. So <laughs> so uh, we've got we've got a, a clutch like you know like a, a like a, a bunch of investors that I think they always laugh about how they kind of got seduced into this whole project. But I think it's the passion and enthusiasm that we've got that we totally believe in this festival, totally believe in the beautiful site it's on. So acquiring investors along the way who've put their money to this project is, is you know, is, has been amazing that we've got the bunch of investors that we've got. Yeah. So it was all going great guns. Year, you know, year one was was great it was really well received we won awards year yep. two rolled yep. on we won more awards and i think we'd captured the imagination of you know the, the, the our community they loved it what we was given you know people were describing it as walking into a big hug you know all of the the people that the suppliers my old suppliers a lot of them from my hot farm years came and worked with us and um, we just had this um, i believe like this amazing atmosphere and our investors like loved it you know they brought all their friends and colleagues along and very proud of it and we was on track for year 2020 yeah to break yeah. even that year and and we was you know we doubled our numbers in 2019 it was it was all on on track to be really great you know albeit you know there's always bumps in the road and yeah. you know what it's like yeah but yeah, you know yeah. Yeah. Never bloody easy. No, no, but, no. But but it was all looking really hunky dory, and then suddenly, COVID happened, and it, it all just fell away. Um, we obviously didn't do twenty twenty. We didn't do twenty twenty one. Even though we decided that we was going to do twenty twenty one, and then Boris changed. If you remember rightly, Boris changed oh, the date. That's right. So yeah. we then made a decision as a, as, a, as, a, as a group of people to move the festival one week. I mean, it's like, we're, we're, it is a bit nuts, I know it is, but we moved it one week out of the lockdown date that he'd given. So he'd given the 21st of June is when lockdown lifted for 2021, yeah? So we ended up rolling over 2020 to 2021 and our date just was before the lockdown was lifted. So we had to roll that date again or move to 2022. Yeah. yeah. But we made a decision to move it just one week out of the lockdown. 
and because with the, we couldn't do it later in the year that the infrastructure was already cut you know we could if we thought if we moved no. it a week yeah. we could kind of just about manage to hold on to our suppliers and do all of that sort of stuff anyway so there we did bravely people thought we were nuts in the industry they were saying but but what came out of that was you know our, our investors you know still stuck with it and um, we, we've got, uh, you know, our MD at the time, who, or uh, he's still our MD, Chris, who who led the almost um, almost prime minister like, you know, like a prime minister leading us through this, yeah. this, yeah, yeah. This, this this period of COVID. So he kind of guided us through it, and we was watching what we were spending, and it it become a weekly chat with our shareholders of how we we you know get through to the next week, next week. Anyway. We thought that we was going to be able to open on that week after. So it was it was an amazing. I was on site with all the suppliers the first festival after lockdown. We were because yeah. we started the build. Yeah. The we we got massive publicity because you know we was going to be the first one out of the blocks, yeah. and yeah. it was like a great feeling. BBC covered us, and it was all brilliant and. You know, the excitement you can imagine on site, people hadn't worked for almost 18 months or, you know, no other work had happened. And there we were opening our festival gates and it it was incredible. And then I was on site and suddenly we got the call, or not the call, the... the, um, the announcement that Boris was moving it, he wasn't, he's not lifting it, so we couldn't go ahead. So we'd spent a lot of money, obviously, to get the site to almost open, and uh, we failed because we couldn't open our gates because he decided that he was moving it four weeks lockdown. Um, we took the gamble, you know, we'd taken this gamble, so we we wasn't. We, we knew it was a, a gamble, but it was one we was prepared to take and the investors were prepared to take. But what was heartbreaking is the next day or the day after was the football. Yes. Where yes. 60,000 yes. people were allowed yes. to get together. We had made such a COVID safe environment on yeah. our festival site that you couldn't have, you would have been in the safest place in the world on our site with all the measures we'd put in place. Um, and we wasn't allowed to go ahead and but sixty thousand people were allowed to go to the sporting events and I know. that's that's what was so heartbreaking. Yeah. Um so that's what COVID did. You know, COVID took us through uh, the biggest roller coaster ride as a festival that wow. we could probably have encountered. You know, we didn't play it safe, we didn't take the easy option of going, no, let's roll over when it's safe again, 2022 seems like a a good thing to do we went into it we knew the risk but what was heartbreaking was the government allowing other things to happen um, yeah. Um, yeah. so so yeah so um covid is was yeah a massive roller coaster ride <laughs> but luckily but you- luckily luckily we held on <laughs> i'm gonna say but you you're still smiling so you got through it which is we got through it, and and you know, as I say, it's testament to the investors who are still there with us. Um, we went on sale for twenty twenty two. Yeah, we can't we can't you know say enough about the support that we had from our community. So the people that that really um, stuck with us are the people that held on to their tickets. Some have rolled over like you know twice, three times. So it's so it's it's an incredible um, uh, feeling. 
that it makes us really humble that we've managed to hold on to so many of our customers, you know. Well, I think that comes down to just trust in the community and actually proper communication. And the other thing I was going to ask you, and you've, you've answered it really well, Jill, is that sometimes the education with investors in this space can be really difficult. But I expect your investors are well educated now. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think as much they don't understand about live events anymore, to be honest with you. I, I, I think if they had the choice, they wouldn't have got involved in the first place. But I'm hoping, <laughs> I, keep, I keep telling them, it's not going to be okay. You wait and see. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, honestly, you, you're absolutely right. They, they, have, they are, are the most educated um, investors. They must be in the in country. Li- <laughs> in live music that you could actually ever meet, I think. Yeah. Yeah, because and and our communication was ongoing all the time. Yes, yes. So it was it was never you know they wasn't in the shadows not knowing what's going on. They no. were totally informed um, how how we were proceeding, and we worked together. You know to to keep keep the dream alive, really. So what does what does twenty two look like for the festival? You know, lineup capacity. What type of food are we going to expect again? Okay, well, well, you know, we've got you know. There's some of our artists still to be announced, but we've yep. got Wilco, Waterboys, um, Courtney Marie Andrews, Milk Carton Kids. We've got choirs. We've got you know so much involved in our festival. Yep. I mean, yep. I could I could be here for ages and ages talking to you about the content. It's not just music. You know, it isn't just about the music. It's about the whole culture of the Americana kind of vibe. So we've got motorbikes, we've got like heavy, heavy desert rock music. We've got amazing barbecue food, like really the best of American barbecue food. Uh, We've got a a fantastic children's area, you know, uh, like genuinely we, we, it's the the children's area is a festival within a festival. And um, it's the, the whole experience is you go into these different parts of our festival and you've, there's a different feel to each and every part. So if you hang out around the motorbike, sometimes people don't leave that area all day. That's yeah. their place. Yeah. Um, Haley's Bar is a is a, a, a an area a venue that we build because we 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 kind of make bespoke buildings um, that we create ourselves. Because um, my one of my other businesses that I started when Debs and I wasn't together was a festival fencing business so we supply festival fencing to a lot of the uk festivals so i'm a supplier as well so i've got a, i've got an understanding of all elements of a festival so out of that we've created you know using some of my fencing panels and creating venues it's, it's kind of like an interesting kind of way yeah. of working yeah yeah. Um, and, yeah and and one of the bars Haley's bar is um dedicated to my brother chris who um, when I was 12 years old and he was 19, he played this music. This was his thing. His mates used to come around and play um, Americana music and play guitars and, and instruments together and sing. Um, and when he was 19, he was murdered. Oh. And and our whole, as you can imagine, as a family, our whole world shattered. Oh, wow. Um, so that with Black Deer, Black Deer is is about more than putting bands on in a festival site it's got so much heart into it yeah. um and Haley's bar is dedicated to my brother so we're in there the great big iconic picture of my brother with his mates playing musical instruments and 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 you know That's cool. to, That's be cool. standing, yeah. Yeah. to be standing there listening to that is 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 
listening to people having fun in Haley's Bar is is incredible. So that's like another part of the festival. And then you know, a, a Super Jam is is um, it, it's a school of kids who have fallen through the education system. They've got their own stage. We work with them all year. They they've got black deers on their curriculum, and <laughs> they're they're, pe- they're they're kids that I, I started to mentor when it started as a small school of, of, of um, six kids in Tunbridge, Wales. Um, and two guys that I'd met in the music industry decided that they wanted to give something back. So they started this school um, just with their own money and built a little recording studio. And through music, this school now is an Ofsted-rated school. It's, it's, there's 120 um People involved, kids involved with it. Is there? There's a school in Swanley and Canterbury now. Okay. They're opening ten no. schools around the UK. So Super Jam is another part of Black Deer. And so as soon as we was doing the festival, Super Jam had to be part of it. And right from day one, they've got their place at Black Deer. So Black Deer is is made up of so many things that are very important personally and. Um, to, to us all and, and I yeah it, it it you feel it when you come onto the site that's what people say you feel that this is somewhere that you actually really want to be at and belong to for that period of time I sort of echo that as well because we, we had Becky and I had the opportunity which you gave us I think it's 2019 to a 10 I think it was Chris Christopherson we saw yeah um, incredible and I'm I'm gonna laugh at this but ha- having worked in the live space and worked at labels and you get to a point, Jill, where I just don't like attending festivals or you get to the point and think, oh, you know, but and I went as a consumer. So I thought I'm actually going to go as, you know, Pete, the consumer. <laughs> what do I think of it? And actually, I echo everything you say, because I always take it from the point of view of how is the transportation to the site? That was really good. How was the access to the site? That was really good. How was it when we got our tickets? That was really good. What was the security like? Really friendly. The sun was shining. What was the food like? Really good. We saw the bikes. We saw Chris play. The other bands we saw play. The site was great. So for me, that ticks a lot of boxes, partly maybe because I knew you at the time and things that we were trying to do, but I try to put that out of my head and go, actually, I'm going to look at this as a, as a pure person coming in of what do I see? And I think, yeah, I, th- I, I think definitely right the site i mean some of the sites in in kent are fantastic anyway and because you're close to a motorway you've got good access coming in and out you haven't got any chimney pots around you you know that ticks a lot of boxes as well which is which is great and i think i think you've also alluded as well jill is that people want more of an experience now so they want food from around the country they want not just we know the headline act sells tickets but it's a bit more than that you know mums and dads want a family day they want to be able to Dad wants to go and have a beer. Mum wants to have a nice what, glass of wine, for example, or a nice something to eat. So I think that's all part of it as well. So yeah, I think um, I certainly think you've achieved a lot of that. Ah, oh, that's so lovely. And uh, you know, we never stop wanting the customer experience to be the best it can be, um, and to make their memories there as well. You know, I know festivals are that, aren't they? People make yeah. amazing memories, yeah. and yeah. you know, to, to be part of, of that is is 
a privilege. It really is. I've, I, you know, I, I never tire of it. I'm, Debs and I work tirelessly with Black Deer. That we talk about all the time. We're always on the phone. We're always, <laughs> you know, new ideas. Something else is there is no lack of enthusiasm and what Black Deer can become as well. You know, um, my vision is that that you know, Erich Estate wanted a heritage festival to be there that they that, that grew yeah. yeah and i was bringing other people in to come and look at the estate and all the while i'm building i'm bringing other people in i'm thinking oh this is how i do it this is yeah. how i do it. <laughs> so so the irony of that was 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 obviously i'd already built the festival site even though i didn't realize that i was really doing it yeah. for black deer and yeah. so when i went in the gate the point the public come and you go up that track and i'd visualized how people felt when they walked you know it was i didn't want lots of paraphernalia at the beginning because it's this beautiful site that you just want to go in and look at yeah um you don't want to see the festival trappings you know before you go up the hill where the plantation is so i'm you know i'd visualized everything and and it it was you know again it was just amazing when people said this festival feels like it's been here for years um and i think that's because actually in my head it'd been there for years. <laughs> it was yeah. it was that old it, i'd been there yeah. for years because it was it was you know such a magical place I, to have other people come and experience that with us is is um is amazing yeah and i think you know i think festivals will always be with people next generations coming through and i think it's always going to be a um <clears throat> you know just a magical experience for people that got married people get engaged whatever that might be is or you know that new band that you found up the you know up the hill in in some obscure tent that was playing metal or whatever it was you know that's what i think that's what people like and i think taking all your experience and knowledge and energy i think um does you know it really really does help and i think i suppose looking at that what advice would you give a new promoter coming through jill you know with their energy their enthusiasm what would you tell them to say not bother (laughs) (laughs) no no look look i wouldn't change this for the world i really wouldn't but i would say don't think you know you're stepping into something that's not going to be plain sailing you know it is a roller coaster ride whatever circumstances you're in you know you will get things thrown at you all of the time just when you think something's going just smoothly something will come and change that so I think it's just don't go in it with rose tinted glasses it's all going to be this amazing thing you know because it's bloody hard work it consumes you you've got to be prepared for that I think yeah um yeah uh, one piece of advice I would absolutely give is you know get yourself a really experienced production person who absolutely understands production and schedules and timings you know as I said with my supplier head on so many problems happen when a production team are not good enough yeah um and it changes the whole dynamics of the festival so you know get yourself really experienced pay for the experience because it's absolutely worth it yeah um you know and, and and don't ever think you know it all you know get your funds in place make sure that you can pay your people um, and listen to your suppliers. They're on the coal face. You know, they are the people that pick up the pieces. So treat them how you will treat an artist. They're just as important. I oh, couldn't um, agree more. Couldn't agree more. Uh, uh, and, and you know, I really think that pays dividends in the end, you know. And uh, and also one thing, 
try to enjoy the process, you know, find the fun um, and engage teams that, you, you know, who, who you want to work with. So it makes your festival experience um, so much better when you're the one facing the problems because at the end of the day, it is, you know, there's only a few of you that have to really face those really hard decisions that need to be made, you know. Yeah. Um, but, but but try to get the most out of having an amazing team and, and, you know, sit with them and have a barbecue, have a beer with them, enjoy the process of the build. That's my favourite beer. I, I absolutely love it. Love the build. I'm on, yeah. I'm on site day one. As soon as we're marking out the site, there I am. I build the world. I start to build the back world where people come, we barbecue, you know, we're having a great time. It's almost like, you know, the people come along and that's another phase of the festival. But the build with you building your teams and you're all together having, you know, that spirit is is what I find like that's my magic as well, you know. Yeah, no, I think um I think you've hit on a really good point as well. Is one of the um festivals I worked at, I was doing all the press and um one of the photographers turned up and I got a call. And he wasn't being dealt with really well. I think in the light of maybe dealing with paparazzi or celebrity photographers, people weren't dealing with them particularly great, for example. And he, I just got this call, can he come up and blah, blah, blah. So I came up and this sort of young lad had all his kit and he said to me, I'm just coming from New York. Um, I've got four or five newspapers I need to get pictures for. I'm, I haven't got a pass, didn't get through. Can we help me? So I helped him. I stayed with him for the whole two days, uh, Jill. Aww. He was one of the – he's still my friend now. He lives in New York. He's one of the <laughs> best photographers. Just people, really. He, he's photographed literally everybody, um, literally everybody. And on this day, how – what you just emphasised, I, I completely echo that because the security on the day was really good. And I went up to one of the heads of security and I said – I just need to have a quick question with you, if you can help me. And he went, yeah, sure, what what do you need? I said, look, I've got a great photographer. He's just flown in from New York. He's got to get some really great pictures of, of, of some of the headline acts. And it was like Calvin Harris and Supergrass. And I think Kate Nash was, was performing that day. They had the Automatic and a few other bands. And I said, he just needs to get some really great pictures. I said, is there any chance that we could close the pit just for him for one or two songs? And he came back to me within two minutes. He went, yeah, I can do that. Not a problem. Oh. And it comes down to what you said, Jill, just dealing with people properly. They closed the pit for him. He got pictures of Supergrass, Calvin Harris, pretty much everybody, and are some of the best pictures that he took. And what happened there, I went to the promoters that were running the event. And I said, look, he's now going to syndicate your pictures worldwide because this has been there. he's been able to do this, and it's going to get you more press. And they were in you know, every blog. Um, they were syndicated all around the world. Just because of a little bit of kindness and your approach, yeah. instead of going to security, look, can you get this done for me, mate? Da da da. No, no, no. You just deal with it in a proper way. Um, and we stayed friends ever since. So I think there are, in this mad world, I think things can be dealt with quite easily if you just go about it in a proper way. And and as you said before, you know, a smile goes a long way. It really does. You know, it brightens everyone's day. And if it's feeling really tough, you know, just give yourself a smile because yeah. you, you kind of, it does change the whole way of feeling. It, it does. And uh, to give a smile to somebody else and you get a smile back of somebody who's looking quite serious, who might not look approachable, who might be a little bit, I don't know, preoccupied, 
give them a smile, have a little bit of a sort of a bit of banter with people, and and it it, it just makes life a lot nicer. And if everyone right. started to do, really do that, I think we'd have a, a much nicer place to all live in. Yeah, I agree. No, I agree. I completely agree. And I think so. With all your experience and what's going on, what does the next twelve months look like? Is it just Every day, Black Deer Festival. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, it's, it's, it's kind of like, look, I'm, I, I, I like to have everything in my life. So I'm greedy. I, I love got an amazing family. I love being around my family. I love traveling and all of that. Yeah, but Black Deer does take up a, a lot of time. Um, so, yeah, I'm just looking forward to getting our gates open on, you know, 2022. Um, but, but, we're working beyond that as well for Black Deer. So our idea is to extend Black Deer beyond a festival potentially. You know, there's lots of stuff that we're talking talking about that may may or may not happen. But it's about, yeah, total, total, totally making the most of all the minutes is what I'm going to be doing in yeah, the future. Well, <laughs> I mean, sadly, we've come to the end of our chat, Jill, but look, this is your time. Tell listeners where they can find out more about you, where they can buy their tickets, when do they go on sale. Tell us all. Where, where can they buy the tickets and what's going on? Oh, okay, so so tickets are on sale. They're, they're, you know, they've been on sale for a while. And it's if just go to the website, you know, um, blackdeerfestival.com. Okay. And it tells you all about the festival on that, you know, all the history, all the all the backstories about what Black Deer is all about. So you'll find everything you need to know, really, and more than you ever thought that you'd find. Thanks so much for coming on the show today, Jill. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um, we wish you great success with Black Deer Festival. Thank you so much. It's been great. Thank you. Well, that's all for today's episode of The Entertainment Engine. And thanks for listening. Join us again next week for more great guest interviews from the world of entertainment. It would be great to have your feedback on the show. So please drop us a message at any time. We would love to hear from you. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favourite podcast platforms so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening to the show. And remember to all stay safe. The Entertainment Engine.